Congregation, the text for the sermon this morning is Hebrews 10, the verses 5 to 7. We'll read those verses again, Hebrews 10, 5 to 7. And there it says, therefore, when he, that is uh, Christ, came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. So far, the, the text Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, in the time before Christmas, we often spend time re- thinking about the, the events leading up to, to Christmas, Christ's birth in Bethlehem. Maybe you've started reading the book of Luke about the announcement of the coming of John the Baptist, the herald of the Christ, and his birth to Elizabeth. And then later on, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, first Mary, telling her that she was going to be uh, with child, pregnant, become pregnant, and uh, give birth to uh, one who would be the Savior, Jesus, the Savior, Son of God, and later Gabriel appears to Joseph, telling him not to leave Mary, but to take her as wife and name the child to be born Jesus, Savior. So there are a number of, of uh, things, events leading up to that birth of Christ. But brothers and sisters, the boys and girls, the, the Bible doesn't only tell us what happened here on earth Uh, before Christmas. It also tells us something of what was taking place in heaven before Christmas, just before Christ's birth. Angels worshipped in heaven. We know that from Hebrews 1, verse 6. When God brings the firstborn into the world, he he says, let all the angels of God worship him. We can imagine that when the Son of God was about to become man, that the angels burst out in praise to God in heaven. It was taking place in heaven. Something else took place in heaven just before Christ's conception and birth. And we read about that in our text. Before his holy conception and birth, God's Son spoke to his Father in heaven. The words of our text, penned by King David hundreds of years before, were apparently taken up by God's son just before he was born in Bethlehem. The Holy Spirit recorded, we could say, the son's farewell to his father before his coming in the flesh here. That's what we read in the first words of our text. You know, in verse 5. Therefore, 
when he came into the world, he said. When he came into the world. No other way to interpret those words than that they were quoted from Psalm 40 by God's Son just before his incarnation. His coming in the flesh. And let's consider this morning from God's word those words of the Lord Jesus before his incarnation to his Father in heaven. Just before God's Son entered this world. Conceived in that womb of Mary and born in that stable in Bethlehem. And I preach to you the text we have before us with this theme. Jesus coming into the world. We see three things. Jesus' will. Secondly, God's will. And thirdly, our will. So those words of Jesus talk about his will. Jesus' will. Notice that Jesus expressed to his Father in heaven with those words of verse 7 in our text. He says, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. Behold, I have come. Actually, the original Greek has the present tense here. Behold, I am coming. Now, at, at one time or another, you may have received a birth announcement that spoke from the, you know, from the baby's point of view. You know, I've arrived, right? And then says, so-and-so arrived at such-and-such a date and time, weighing so many pounds. And of course, a baby saying, I've arrived, is just kidding, of course. It's just a bit of humor. Because babies don't announce their own coming into this world. We have nothing to say about our own birth. Time, place, etc. God decides that. And that counts for everybody. Everybody except the Son of God. He says, behold, I'm coming. And he means that. And what he says, quoting Psalm 40, tells us two things. First and foremost, it tells us that his coming is something he himself willed. And that's why I'm talking about Jesus' will. He willed to come. You, come to, you came to church this morning because you wanted to. You willed it, maybe, maybe a lot, maybe not so much. But you, you, you willed to come here. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here now. Well, that Jesus says to his father with the words of Psalm 40 that he was coming means that he willed to come. He wanted to be born man. He himself willed that. His birth is the only birth that was willed by the one who was born himself. And in the second place, his saying that he was coming tells us that he existed before he came. Before he was born. He existed already. Otherwise, how could he say that he was coming? He existed somewhere else. If you say you're coming, then you're coming from somewhere else to someplace. Before you sat here in church, you were somewhere else at home. And you came to church from there. When Jesus was born, he existed already somewhere else. Before he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he lived with his Father in heaven, triune God. 
when he was conceived in Mary's womb and later born in Bethlehem, he came from heaven to this earth. Came from heaven, holy, glorious, and perfect heaven, to this earth full of unholiness, sin, enmity, and sorrow. He came from where he had glory and majesty to where he would be rejected and despised and put to death. But he came. He came. Even though he knew that that move from glory with his father to living among fallen people here on earth, he, he knew that what, what, what that was going to mean for him. You could say he came from a beautiful palace full of perfect love to a filthy, stinking dump here. He came from heaven to the cross. And he willed that. He wanted that. Behold, I come, he said to his Father in heaven. He willed to come here. He came willingly. And why? He came to seek and to save what was lost in order to bring people who had given themselves over to the devil and to destruction to, to bring them back to his Father. That's why he willed to come. The only reason. And he was willing to come here even though he wasn't asked and he wasn't even wanted. If you think about it. We didn't call for him to come. You know what we actually did? We were his enemies who resisted him, wanted to get rid of him, sought his condemnation, called out that he should be put to death. Would you come if that was the welcome you knew awaited you? Imagine that you came to help people suffering because of an earthquake or a hurricane or so, and they they showed they didn't want you. They even hated you. They would lynch you if you came. Would you come? I don't think so. Jesus did, though. Jesus did. Uncalled for, unwanted, but he came. Nobody asked him to come here. Well, there was someone who asked him to come, his father in heaven. His father in heaven asked him already before the foundation of the world. In eternity. He said, who will go to save sinners? Who will bring salvation for my elect, for those whom I have decided to save after the fall into sin? And then already, before creation, Jesus agreed to come. And when the time had fully come, God's Son stepped forward and said, Behold, I come. And God the Father prepared a body for him, as prophesied by David in Psalm 40. You'll notice that in the original psalm, it says ears. He gave him ears. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it says body. And that's what is quoted here in Hebrews. Body. Through the operation of the Holy Spirit, God the Father prepared a body for his son in Mary's womb. The thing is, congregation, Jesus coming to earth was willed by himself. He wanted to come here in spite of what was waiting for him here. His father asked him to come, 
He was willing. Amazing congregation, unasked, unwanted by people, by us, and yet came for you and me, incomprehensible, the God of glory in human flesh in order to be put to death, to suffer and be put to death. Amazing. And that should fill us with wonder, especially as we remember Christ coming this week. We can get so used to Christmas and all the hype around Christmas. It so easily becomes just a matter of course for us. Yeah, I know that. So what? All the same old songs and, and all that. And then it doesn't amaze us anymore. It doesn't amaze us anymore that he came. And you know what faith is without amazement? It's dead faith. If what we celebrate this week doesn't amaze us, then our faith is dead. No, think of the words of our text. God's son said, behold, I come. And think of where he came from and where he went to. And think of how he willed that. Behold, I come. He who lived in perfect and eternal glory was willing to accept a mortal body and to live among sinners in this broken world, to breathe the polluted atmosphere of this world and to suffer in body and soul in order to bring us to God forever, to open that way to to God And that brings us to the second part of the sermon too, God's will. The words of our text also speak about God's will. Jesus says here he he willed to be conceived and born man. He came. I come. What was his goal in coming? Using David's words in Psalm 40 verse 7, he explains, Behold, I come in the volume of of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. To do your will. And that's actually the whole goal of our lives, isn't it? To do God's will. That's what we are born to do. To do God's will. But what is God's will then? Well, that's explained by David in Psalm 40. After all, What God's son said in our text was a quote from that psalm. David wrote Psalm 40 after being saved from great troubles, maybe the pursuit of King Saul. And then he confessed, I want to do your will, O God. And that doing of God's will in that psalm is contrasted with the bringing of sacrifices and burnt offerings. And that might sound strange that David says in Psalm 40 that God doesn't desire those burnt offerings and sacrifices. Because after all, we know that in the Old Testament, God himself instituted that whole system of sacrificial worship. He commanded those sacrifices and offerings to be made in Israel. For instance, in the, the book of Leviticus. But David says in Psalm 40, God doesn't desire them. But you see, there were two things about those sacrifices and offerings. In the first place, they were instituted as just temporary substitutes. They were not the real thing. Every Israelite who had sinned and who approached God was in fact supposed to die himself or herself. Because God and sinful man can't just meet like that. 
can't live together just like that. And that's why, why God ordered things so that the Israelites were allowed to let an animal die in place of themselves and so live with God. The animal died and so the Israelite could live, and live near God and, and approach God and seek blessing from him. The animal's blood was a temporary substitute for the Israelites' blood. And that's why in the second place, sacrifices and offerings were also an expression of thankfulness on the part of the Israelites. They were to be brought out of heartfelt love and gratitude to God. And that meant also with the attitude of humility and of submission to God. They meant that the Israelite, they were an expression on the part of the Israelite that he wanted to live for God, do his will. But even though those sacrifices and offerings were commanded by God, they were not what he actually wanted for the Israelites, for his people. When David wrote Psalm 40, he was obviously thinking of when Saul was commanded in 1 Samuel 15 to destroy all the Amalekites and their livestock and everything. However, King Saul allowed the people to take the best animals of the, from those Amalekites, take the best animals for themselves, and he left King Agag, of the Amalekites alive to show him off to the people for his own glory. And when the prophet Samuel came to Saul and asked him why he had, what was that bleeding and, and that, that lowing that he was hearing, why had he not killed all those animals too? That was a, a, an offering to God that he, he would, should have killed all those animals. Why had he left them alive then Saul replied that, well, he had left those animals alive because they wanted to sacrifice them to God, to the Lord, which wasn't true. And then the prophet said to Saul, 1 Samuel 15, 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. See, the sacrifices and offerings commanded by God for Old Testament Israel weren't an end in themselves. No, they were just temporary substitutes for Christ who would be the real sacrifice and offering for sins. And the Israelites weren't given life and blessings because of those animal sacrifices. They were given life and blessings because of Christ because he was going to sacrifice himself for them in the future. And when he came... And the offering was brought. There was no need for those sacrifices and offerings anymore. The first man had to make room for the second. The real. And remember the second thing those sacrifices stood for. Gratitude to God. Intent. An expression of intent to live for God. That was the purpose. But things so easily turned out different, didn't they? The Israelites brought their sacrifices and offerings as expected. And then went further living as before. Because they simply saw it as a ritual that allowed them to continue living as before. They saw it simply they, they, that as something they had to do their duty and that was it. And then they could go on living as before. There was no love for God or thankfulness for his promised salvation in their hearts. Oh, they brought lots of sacrifices, thousands of them. But their hearts were far from God. And God didn't want those kinds of sacrifices and offerings at all. His intention was to bring the Israelites 
to love him with their hearts and to do his will in gratitude from the heart for allowing them to live with him. But the Israelites made it the whole practice of their religion, that bringing sacrifices and offerings. And they could do it without heart for God. But when Jesus was about to come into this world, he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He came to do God's will. He was obedient to his Father, did his will. And that doing God's will was extremely hard for him. But he remained obedient to his Father with his whole heart throughout all the time he was on earth. Out of love and thankfulness to God. Throughout his life here in this polluted earth. In Gethsemane. Before the judgment seat of Pontius Pilate. All the way to Calvary. He remained perfectly obedient to his Father. All the way to the cross. Fully willing from the heart to do God's will. What a difference from us congregation. As we mentioned, we're also born to do God's will. But the danger for us is that, we, that, that our hearts aren't in it either. You know, that we read our Bibles, pray and attend church all out of habit as rituals without heartfelt love and gratitude towards God. That's a danger. How often aren't we lacking in devotion? And don't we even do those things reluctantly with our minds somewhere else? We don't see our guilt and we don't realize what an awesome thing it is to belong to Jesus Christ. And we don't have real drive in our hearts to live a holy life. The difference between our worship and how we actually experience that worship in our hearts can be pretty great, can't it? Sometimes. And then there's also that constant pull to do our own will instead of God's will. And then we go to church, but then after church on Monday and Tuesday, we go back to before. We sit behind our computer, go out on Saturday, or the way we speak to others and about others. And it's so, so easy with church and Bible reading and prayer to think, well, that's, that's what God wants. That's, I've done my duty there. And then go back to normal for sinners. What grace, what a wonder it is that the Lord Jesus perfectly fulfilled the will of God from the heart and so offered himself as a sacrifice that fulfilled all those other sacrifices, what all those sacrifices were really all about. He obeyed God's will perfectly, 100% from the heart, in love for his Father, and so offered himself as the sacrifice to end all sacrifices truly bore the wrath of God against all our sins to the end. God never was after those animal sacrifices, but they pointed to His Son who would bear the full brunt of His wrath against the sin of His people and take that curse, their curse on Himself by descending into hell. He came then as the true offering for sinners and so opened the way to God for people who are in themselves sinners. That's how it was written in the volume of the book as David said, and as Christ repeated in verse 7 of our text, it was all written in the books of the Old Testament about him. Moses and the prophets had all spoken about him, and he came as the fulfillment of it all, of all that was written about the way he would go. And that's how he came to us. 
That's how he fulfilled the will of God for us. And congregation, he still comes to you in the word. He comes to you now in the word. And he offers his grace to you in the proclamation of the the gospel. And he says to you, let yourselves be reconciled to God through my sacrifice. He offers to cover all our sins in God's sight with his perfect sacrifice and righteousness. That's what he wants to do for you and me with all his heart. With all his heart. He'd love nothing more than to forgive all your sins. Congregation, if he was willing to come into this world, be born in a stable, suffer at the hands of sinners, die on a cross, wouldn't it also then be his greatest desire to see the fruit of that work in your life? That you accept that and live out of that? Yes, Jesus coming and doing God's will is the way to eternal life for us. By that will, we have been sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It says, Hebrews 10, verse 10. Set apart for God, able to approach God as Father without fear. We can be near God when we worship here, when we pray, when we go home again, when we, when we die. Be near God. Without fear. Coming near God is fearsome for sinners. Our conscience would cry out in fear of him. Because of all we have done and not done. And yes people try to soothe that fear. With good works or throwing themselves into all kinds of pleasure. But they're fooling themselves. Because one day everybody has to come before God. Everybody does. And what then? The only thing that can take your fear away now and then is if you also accept and receive that full obedience of Jesus Christ. If you're given that through faith, living faith in him, then you have real peace in life and also in death. What love and mercy congregation that Jesus came into our life here to do the will of God for us. Again, think of what it cost him. Have you ever dreaded doing something? I imagine so, especially, you know, if you had to do something that would be extremely difficult or painful for you. Go to the dentist, you know. Think of having to go to the hospital maybe for a test or for surgery, which you know is going to be nasty and painful. But you have no choice. You need that test, that surgery, that tooth pulled. Or think of being captured even more. Think of being captured by ISIS fighters in Iraq and knowing that you're going to be tortured or put to death for being a Christian as has happened to Christians recently in Iraq. Think of knowing that you're going to be cast into hell, into outer darkness. Jesus knew that that awaited him if he was to do his father's will. That what waited him when he came here would only be suffering, terrible pain, hellish agony. And yet he said, I come 
to do your will. He willed to do God's will to the end. As the volume of the book, the whole Old Testament prophesied about him. Unasked, unwanted by mankind, by you and me. And yet he came from the peace and glory of heaven to this earth darkened and broken by sin. And he said, I come to do your will, O God. That should fill us with awe, amazement, congregation. Remember that faith without amazement is dead. Are you amazed by it? Christmas without deep thankfulness to Jesus Christ is empty. We have to be brought to that amazement and, and to gratitude for that thankf- for thankfulness for that, that, that gospel of Jesus Christ coming every time again, right? That's why we need to be here every Sunday again. So that we don't take our Savior's coming for granted, but that we're deeply and eternally thankful for His coming and set so that our will may also be more and more conformed to God's will. Because that's what, what we're here for. And that leads up to the last part of the sermon, our will. Congregation, God's Son came to redeem us from the pit we'd fallen into by our sin. Psalm 40 speaks about that pit. But he came to also then renew our wills so that our goal in life becomes doing God's will. Is that the purpose of your life? Or are you just taken in with your career and money and everything else? Is the purpose of your life to do God's will? That's what he came for. So that that will of God becomes the greatest desire and motivator of your life. To obey God's will, God's word, God's commandment. Even if it's a struggle for you. Even if it's not always easy. Even if others don't like it, like you because of that. Even if you have to give up a lot of things you like. Even if it brings you suffering as it brought Jesus suffering. You want to say with your Savior, I come to do your will, O God. Because that's what it was all about and it's still all about, to do God's will for us. It's focused on the Ten Commandments and applied by Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount. Through his Spirit, working through the gospel of his coming, Jesus Christ inscribes then that will of God on the hearts of sinners. He redeems us He also renews us. He justifies by sacrifice and then also sanctifies. But if if we need to stay close to him, we need to stay close to him then too, to Jesus Christ. If we don't want to do God's will, if there isn't that desire to do what God wants in our hearts, then we have to ask ourselves if we really do appreciate the wonder of Christ's coming to save us in the first place. For the more we're filled with amazement at the gospel of Jesus coming to do God's will, the more we'll also be filled with the desire to do that will of God ourselves. Then in response to Christ coming to do God's will for us, we want to make it our desire and struggle to do God's will too. Then we'll, we'll struggle with, for that in prayer. Lord God, I give myself to you. Help me to discern and to do what you want. That's my greatest desire, Lord. 
and then when we open God's word. That word fully contains what we need to, to seek God's will. But we need to know it and open it daily and pray for the Spirit to work through that word in our hearts. Oh, we, we're going to have a hard time with that will of God, right? We already do. We constantly want to go our own way. Also, as believers who know Christ and His coming, we want to still go our own way. But the closer we come to Christ who came for us, the more we hate our sins and want to get rid of our sinful habits, and the more thankful we'll be, too, that He came for us at Christmas, and the more amazed we are that God's Son came from heaven to be born and live among us and do God's will for us. We think about that in deep thankfulness. Then we'll say with Jesus, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. Amen.